You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, February 9th, year of our Lord, 2023. A lot of news breaks. Don't always know what it's going to be, but it's no coincidence, folks, when that news breaks. And it's right before this program goes on the air. And we got some of it tonight. We're jam-packed, high atop a picture-perfect downtown Nashville, Tennessee, made all the more perfect because the poverty mic is out. And we got the winnings from the Eagles NFC Championship game that I promised to place into the purchase of a new mic. Got a new mic. We sound great now. Everything's wonderful and well, and we got breaking news to talk about in this new mic. The first segment that we ever do in this thing will be about Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. When? Next year. Breaking news just moments ago. We will touch on that. Actually, we'll lead with it. I've got teams rising. I've got teams falling. I've got some teams that maybe I disagree with in terms of what the metrics say. We're going to take a nice hard look at 2023 tonight. What do some of those numbers say? And what does the old gut say? And which should we trust? There are allegations that I have promised a certain message board in our network that I will address tonight, and I will indeed address those, those allegations. Some of you, and I won't say whomst yet, think that you have caught me in a lie, shrouded in hypocrisy, and I am going to fight back tonight. Or will I just admit it? We'll see. Time will tell. Uh, Lincoln Riley hype. We got a question about it. I don't even know what it is necessarily, but we've got a question about it. And we have got a ton to get to this evening. We're also going to do that little exercise about changing certain moments in the history of this sport and what it would do to the sport. I try and tell you no off season. And here it is February 9th. And we have a show that could be two hours long. I have no clue how long we're going tonight, but It stands to reason if we're going to go that long, it should be on this night because we don't have a show Sunday. Remember, Super Bowl protocol in place, and we don't have a show Tuesday. So the next time we're live on this platform will be next Thursday night. However, we will bring you a Late Kick Extra podcast on Tuesday. More on the Late Kick Extra podcast in just a little while. They're watching us in Geraldine, Alabama. Good people in Geraldine. I talked to at least one of them today. They're watching us in Oxnard, California, LaBelle, Florida, and Champaign, Illinois. Thank you, thank you, thank you. More thank yous later in the show. So many good things happening. But we're not leading the show about the show. We're leading the show about bombshell news. I I think this qualifies as bombshell only because we thought all hope was lost. And then a little ray of sunshine has appeared late on this Thursday afternoon. Breaking news, courtesy of Ross Dellinger at SI, within the last 30 minutes, timely reporting with this show on deck at the top of the hour. Texas and Oklahoma 
and their television partners have reached an early exit agreement with the Big 12, they will head to the SEC after this season. This 2023 season will be the final season you see Texas and Oklahoma playing Big 12 football. They head to the SEC in 2024. How did they get this done? Well, they're going to owe the Big 12 a combined $100 million. And I've got details from the Dellinger Report as to where those $100 million are going to go. This is a good thing for everyone. Unless you just sit out there somewhere and have nothing to do with anything and just don't want to see a move. This is pretty good for everyone. But it's great for Brett uh, Yormack. So that's the new Big 12 commissioner. And a lot of people still haven't put a name to a face and you don't know a whole lot about him. He is not your garden variety, came up through the university bureaucracy and administrative state and elevated eventually to conference commissioner. He's not that. He's an entertainment guy. He comes from that sort of new age school of thinking as to how you elevate and hire a commissioner. And it paid dividends for the Big 12 here. He looked at it a lot different, I think, than most in his position would have looked at him. He looked at them as assets that were about to head out the door. And he said, why would I wait another year and get nothing for them? I don't care if they stay here. It's not going to do us a bit of good if they're here one more year versus two more years. Let me get something for them. And so Brett Yormark looked around and saw things sort of stalling last week and credit Ross Dellinger and the guys at SI because they were pretty adamant through their sourcing, even at the time that it appeared these talks had stalled last week, that they hadn't stalled. And I kind of fell for that. Now, granted, I didn't have a great deal of attention paid to it, but I kind of fell for that. I thought when, when things felt like they stalled last week after the Big 12 conference meetings, I just kind of thought that was a last gasp effort. They couldn't come to an agreement. I think we talked about it actually on the show. Well, that's not the way it went down. It seems that about that time, Brett Yormark walked in and said, this is going down. We don't want them here. They don't want to be here. The SEC does want them there. We're going to make this happen, and we're going to get some money. We're going to get something. We're not going to get played anymore, is what he said. As a conference, we're going to do the playing. And not only are we going to be aggressive on the front end here, now, with $100 million being paid in terms of an early exit fee, the next glaring, burning question in the room is, where does that money go? Well, it goes to be distributed equally amongst eight Big 12 legacy schools. Good for you guys. So you get a payday. And then also, that's not the final question. That's part one. Part two is, how aggressive are they about to be in terms of proactively going after other programs? You know, last week, even though maybe I thought this was going to be on the back burner for one more year, I was adamant about one thing. And that is conference realignment's not done. And I was adamant about that because there's not a reputable person that I talk to in our industry or especially the actual other side of the fence in the college football world who says otherwise. Everyone expects the Big 12 to make moves in the plural. Uh, most people are convinced the Big 10's not done moving. And therefore, all eyes go to the Pac-12, right? Because we talked about the Four Corners teams just the other night. I think Dennis Dodd's done some really good reporting on this as well. The, the Arizona schools, Utah, Colorado, I would highly suggest you keep your eyes on all of them. Chain reaction could very well lead to teams like Fresno or San Diego State, Boise, etc. Uh, being granted admittance into the Pac-12. So there is about to be a lot of moving and shifting. This is kind of just the first major domino. They had to get this out of the way. 
and it's out of the way now. It's good for everyone, though, uh, because it, number one, it signifies you got the right guy in the commissioner's chair in the Big 12. Number two, hey, out of left field, good for Georgia, because it looked for a little while, for a few days, like the SEC had forced them to cancel their series with Oklahoma all for nothing. The thinking had been, if we're going to get Oklahoma in 2024, we can't have Georgia playing them out of conference in 2024. So from my lips to your ears, Greg Sankey to the University of Georgia, that series is canceled. Go schedule. I think they schedule Catala Community College. Not too far away from that is what they schedule. Georgia schedules trash this year, and it's not their fault. They tried to schedule tough out of conference, and then it got yanked out from under them. Well, at least there's merit for it now. So that's, that's one thing that immediately popped into my mind. And the second thing is, I believe that this is going to be a, a very active spring slash summer as it was last year. Remember, I just spoke about Georgia. I'll mention them one more time. I think one of the reasons Georgia won a title last year, and then we proceeded to hardly talk about it at all, wasn't because we were overlooking them. I'm from Georgia. That's about the last program I'd overlook. It was because there was so much other stuff going on off the field. You remember what it was like last year around spring and summer. Looks like we may be gearing up for another summer that is eerily similar to that. When I think summer last year, I think waking up in a hotel room in Los Angeles to the news that USC and UCLA are going somewhere. I think about having DMs from Brady Quinn saying, hey, something big's coming today. I can't tell you what it is, but something big's coming today. Still appreciate that from Brady. So, Texas OU, you will see them in SEC play in about 18 months. Get ready to catch the fever. I have a, just a gigantic thank you. I mean a gigantic thank you. You can't imagine the panic around here. Upper management today was just beside themselves. They thought there was a flaw. They thought they had a grain of sand in the microchip. Why? Because there were things appearing on computer screens and data monitors around our office that couldn't possibly be. What were those things? Our show being in the top 10 of worldwide football podcasts. Why couldn't that be? Well, we're just a college football show. And it's the middle of Super Bowl week. So management and every other rational thinking person out there says, how could a college football show be in the top 10? Well, most of them wouldn't be. But this one is. This one is. It's not an error management. Maybe if said management would enroll at Pate State instead of just acknowledging its existence, they would understand. We don't recognize an offseason around here. It's a fun little tagline. It's also our actual ethos. It's why we're about to do about a 90 to two, 90 minute to two hour show tonight. And you, that's the thank you part, have vaulted us all the way up into air that is so rarefied people actually think it's a typo. So thank you for that. Yeah, that's not a joke. Top 10 pods worldwide, globally. Sounds better. I think globally sounds better. In the uh, football world, not college football, football in general. Uh, we are among some heavy hitters up there. Maybe that's why we got the new mic. I don't know. I appreciate it. Okay, so. We, we appreciate it. Which teams are going to rise in 2023? I think Bill Connolly, for my money, puts out one of the best uh, late winter, early spring features, pieces of content on ESPN.com, where he talks about returning production rate. But he, very wisely, a few years ago, realized it's not just about how many guys return. It's not about how many returning starters you have. That's one of the most overrated metrics in college football. How much production do you return? And also, 
What kind of production is worth more? For example, I think it would surprise you to learn the numbers state that losing experience on the defensive line is actually not as costly as losing experience on the back end. I would have thought it was the other way around, but the numbers do not bear that out. So anyway, using some of Bill Connolly's work and then just using some basic observational techniques, I want to ask you, ride along with me here. Maybe we'll think of the same teams. Who would you expect to rise in 2023? And when we say rise, clearly we just mean better record than they have last year. Florida State is a slam dunk, number one. This is not the last time I'm talking about Florida State tonight. But what don't they have? I'm sure I'll get pushback from Gainesville and Coral Gables here, so I'll just ask you guys in advance, knowing the comments section like I do, what don't they have? Think about what it would take to equip them to jump. What don't they have? I'll tell you what they do have. Out of all those, I think we have 133 uh, FBS teams now. That's breaking news in and of itself. Welcome to the party, Sam Houston State. We got 133 of them. Florida State number one in returning production. And those are big-time players, as has been well chronicled at this point. One of them is Jordan Travis, the quarterback. One of them is Jared Verse. Could very well be a top 20 first-round NFL draft pick had he decided to go out. They have been a destination for portal players. I'm rehashing a lot of stuff you already know. But the only pushback I think you could give me on this is, well, they already won 10 games last year. It'd be one thing if we're talking about a seven-win team. I'm going to mention one, two, three, actually, coming up that just didn't win a lot of games last year. So maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, all that sounds good, but they're going to have to win 11 games for this to be a slam dunk. You heard me, right? And Jesse, we're looking at a list right now of the notable returnees. We've mentioned, obviously, Jordan Travis. We've mentioned Jared Verse. Also, I think it should be noted how well they've done in the portal and also, therefore, how that's being reflected in the odds market. See, normally, if you look at the ACC standings and you look at preseason odds, you see Clemson, then there's this gulf, and then you pause for more dramatic effect, and then you list whoever's next. That is not the case now. Clemson is plus 1,600 to win the college football playoff national title this coming year. Florida State's plus 1,800. Vegas is viewing them almost as, as equal, almost as the same team, and that has not been the case in the ACC for quite a while. So yeah, I will take that bold stance. I know everyone's going to have FSU as their preseason sleeper, dark horse, neither of which they should be, because as we just said, they won 10 games this past year. I'm going to tell you, my early February thinking is I'd go north of 10 if I get to count the bowl game or, a, dare I say, a college football playoff appearance or, or even an ACC championship appearance. Wow, what rarefied language to use around FSU. Might I also shift your attention to the SEC East for a second? I am going to mention a program here, and it's the University of Missouri. Look at the aggressive stance I take when talking about Missouri. I have gotten a little tired of waiting, but I also practice and preach patience on the show. So we're entering year four of Eli Drinkwitz. You, like many of us, probably remember him as being there for three years, but nope, somehow there, there's just another year that got snuck in there on us. So he started in the COVID year, and this is about to be his fourth season. They are ninth in the Bill Connolly returning production category. So that's all well and good. They've gone five and five, six and seven, six and seven. Under Drinkwitz, they've, I think, finished 500 in the regular season every single year. 
Now, we're a cycle removed from them bringing home the number 15 overall class in the 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings. And I think that once a freshman class doesn't immediately pop, which doesn't happen most of the time, but, but there's a backwards logic out there. If it doesn't immediately just blow up the record and they win three more games than they did last year, everyone forgets. This is the year when that previous recruiting cycle should really start to take root, immunity. Uh, they get LSU, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Florida at home. That is a very fortuitous draw because they've got Georgia on the road. To me, I, if I were Missouri, I just want to play my toughest games on the road anyway. I'm not beating Georgia either way. I say that, but then I look at the next point I have written down here. Some of their closest games this past season, one of them was Georgia. They pushed Georgia as hard as anyone in the regular season. And the other reason I feel confident about them making a jump from winning six games is they weren't getting blown out. It's not like Michigan State. They were losing close games. They, I, I still have no clue how the Auburn game happened. That's a loss. The history books remember it as a loss. If you need to refresh your memory, it's a 17-14 to 14 loss. Go watch how that thing ended. But they led Georgia late in the fourth quarter. They lost 26-22. to 22. Another loss was by four points to Kentucky. They lost, well, Tennessee was a splattering. But other than that, they were competitive in a lot of those games. So, yeah, I could see one possession loss to Auburn. I could see this easily. How about Texas A&M? Hold on. Paper pop for A&M. It's a paper pop of desperation. I am kind of going down along with you guys because I'm the one who sat here and said you had a disaster-proof roster. Yes, friends, if you've been on vacation the past week, I've been... I've been taking the necessary measure of publicly shaming myself for saying such a thing because disaster struck. So it wasn't disaster proof. Now that was last year. So it's not going to be, or shouldn't be, excuse me, shouldn't be all that difficult to improve on not making a bowl game with one of the most talented rosters in America. Uh, they've got number seven in the Bill Connolly returning production metrics. So they're set up very well. They have recruited very well. Connor Wegman is a very good quarterback, or should be. They brought in a guy in Bobby Petrino who should be an upgrade at offensive coordinator. Very excited to see how that pans out. And again, just as I said to begin this portion, all I have to do is make a bowl game here. That, that's a win for us. We're just saying they're going to make a jump. We're not saying they're jumping into title contention, although crazier things have happened. I would argue A&M being in the playoff hunt this year wouldn't be as crazy as them missing a bowl game last year. That's the crazy part. Another team is the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, this is the one that bucks the numbers a little bit because the numbers, at least if you believe in hardcore dedicating yourself to the returning production metrics, does not lean Oklahoma. They're 77th in returning production. However, I now have to insert a little bit of necessary context. Oklahoma also barely made a bowl game. So you could have brand new players out there, especially if they're better or just more talented than the ones that are departing could be a net upgrade. And that kind of leads to the entire logic I'll have about Oklahoma for the next several months. When the back-to-back -back classes they've just signed are number four and number eight, and they've done a good job in the portal, I almost don't want a ton of returning production. Because the production I had wasn't all that great last year. So I want some fresh blood. I want to insert my players. And it's, 
maybe not necessarily a quarterback thing. I think everyone thinks Jackson Arnold when they think Oklahoma recruiting. These are deep recruiting classes. It goes well past just the quarterback. It's not top-heavy at all. So, yeah, I see that they're the 77th-ranked team in returning production. I don't care. They return head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. They look really good in recruiting. They look really good at quarterback. I don't necessarily know that you have to dig too much deeper there. Oklahoma certainly qualifies as a team, uh, poised at least, to make a jump. And if you're interested in the schedule, they're last in the Big 12. Where do they go? Well, they go to Kansas. They go to Oklahoma State. They go to Brigham Young, which is a conference game this year, by the way. They've got Texas, obviously, and Dallas. So, and they got Cincinnati, their first conference game this year. To let you know about the current state of college football, in, think about this sentence. In Oklahoma's final season in the Big 12, their first conference game of the season will be on the road at Cincinnati. Tell yourself that in 2020. And then, and then tell me you're willing to laugh at any prediction about this sport. Like, no one, if, you, if someone would have predicted that, you would have laughed at them. And so my point is don't ever laugh at predictions because the crazier they are sometimes, the more likely they are to just be dead on the money in a few years. And we're about to do, we're about to do the equally depressing follow-up side of that coin, which is teams poised to fall off a cliff in 2023. Now, you know I hate those kind of segments. But don't worry, in classic JP fashion, I have fashioned myself a workaround when it comes to that department. Academy.com is um, a website, obviously, really good one. And Academy Sports and Outdoors is our partner here. I mentioned the website before the actual store itself because an inordinate amount of you have taken to shopping on Academy.com. I don't necessarily know why. Bless you for doing it. I just don't know why it all of a sudden started happening because I mentioned academy.com all the time. But nevertheless, that's been happening. So that's a little thing that I just wanted to mention. Yes, I see the emails and the receipts and whatnot you're sending me, and I retweet some of them. Thank you for that. Also, it was 63 or 64 degrees, depending on whether you were downtown in Nashville today. And I think a lot of people were seeing, you know, kind of scratching their neck and scratching their back because it gives you an itch. And it gives you an itch to get outside. Now, I know full well that the climatological patterns of this portion of the country indicate that there is another hard freeze or two or three coming, probably a winter storm or two coming. We're not out of the woods, but that doesn't mean you can't start thinking about being out of the woods or into the woods, whatever you want to do in the spring. I just encourage you to keep Academy Sports and Outdoors in mind for all those activities. They bring the show to you free of charge. The very least we can do in return for them is bring ourselves to their place of business to purchase things that we're going to purchase anyway. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com is the place for you. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like 
feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Paper stack there instead of a paper pop. All right, here we go. Let's take a sip from the chalice because this could be depressing. And um, nothing I'm about to say is my fault. Which teams, according to the numbers, are poised to potentially have a little fall, have a little step back? In the year of our Lord, 2023, Alabama's right at the top of the list. Now, I know down in Tuscumbia, there are some people yelling at me right now saying, we fell last year. This is the year we're supposed to jump. Well, you didn't fall. You went 10-2 and two in the regular season. And then you, you body-bagged Kansas State in the bowl game to finish with 11 wins. That's a fallback from the Bama standard. But in classical terminology, that's not falling. Now, here could be the potential issue. You are one of a few teams out there that's in the 120s in overall returning production. Not returning starters, returning production. The Bill Connolly ESPN.com metric is what we choose to go off of. You have a new offensive coordinator. You have a new defensive coordinator. You'll be breaking in a new quarterback. And you are losing one of your best overall offensive players at running back in Jameer Gibbs. You don't have to tell me about how you've recruited. I can list those players' names off just as well as you can. You don't have to do that for me. I will just say, I have seen Bama be in the 100s in returning production before and go compete for a title. They do it virtually every year. So I'm not clinging to this number as much as it sounds like I am. And I'm not even buying into Bama making a fall. We don't do predictions record-wise on the show until August. I think they're in the category of a team that would have a little, a little red dot next to their name. If you're looking at what has mattered in the past when it comes to signifying which teams are going to fall. Another one to look at, and this will be no surprise whatsoever, is TCU. I don't even think I have to tell you the numbers, but I will. They are 118th overall in returning production. Now, keep in mind, all we're looking for is you to do worse this year than you did the year before. And TCU made the playoffs. So, like, nothing short of they made the championship game. So, they would have to win the national title to improve. So, yes. Of course they're going to fall off. And it, even if they were to bring back the same team, they would fall off. But when you lose Max Duggan at quarterback, Quentin Johnson is gone. Uh, Garrett Riley, your offensive coordinator, is off to Clemson. One of the key stories of this cycle. You've got so many close games on the record last year that, again, even if you brought the same team back, could go either way. It's not realistic to look at them and say, oh, they'll be right back there this year. No, well, no, they won't. Or if they are. Uh, you will have seen one of the bigger miracles in the modern era of college football take place. Some would argue you already saw it last year. So college football playoff appearance, that's tough. The Big 12 is tough. And I always get pushback when I say that. I don't care. It's a tough league. You don't have to be winning back-to-back-to-back national championships for me to think your league is tough. You know what else the numbers say? The numbers say that South Carolina qualifies as a team that should fall off this year. What do we think about this? You know, you know how 
sturdy the numbers market has been with South Carolina. And by that, I mean they haven't nailed him yet. So if I were a Gamecock fan up there in Gaffney, South Carolina, this would be no skin off my back. Predict us to do whatever you want to. We're 102nd in returning production. Okay. You're going to put the over under at seven, seven and a half? Okay. So they've hit the over both years under Shane Beamer. Their schedule is ridiculous, as it always is. Uh, they, I, mm, you know, don't get me started on this unequal scheduling tangent, but South Carolina this year, they open against North Carolina in Charlotte. I believe that's where it's a neutral site game. They go to Georgia. They go to Tennessee. They go to Missouri. They've got Clemson at the end of the year. They go to Texas A&M. It's a pretty brutal schedule. I don't recommend scheduling Jacksonville State as one of your out-of-conference games. I personally don't recommend that. You do what you want to do up there. And they got Furman in week two. So the Pals come in, the Paladins come in. But other than that, tough schedule, tough schedule. They won eight games this past year and won seven the year before. Now we're talking about teams that are poised, at least numerically, to take a step back. If you win seven games against this schedule at South Carolina, I think you've had a pretty good year. So Shane Beamer could actually fall short of last year's win total and still have had a pretty good campaign. But then again, I said that the year before, and he overachieved anyway. I just, I'm looking at what history says about your returning production and what they have to face this year. That's all I'm saying. The last one I want to touch on is Utah. Back-to-back Pac-12 champions. And if you look at the returning production metrics, Utah's 16th. So you might ask yourself, self? A little Conrad Thompson there, self? Why would I doubt Utah? Well, it's all about placement. They're not coming off a seven-win season. They are back-to-back conference champs out there. And when I am thinking about Utah and whether they could take a little step back, I'm not thinking about returning production as much as I'm thinking about what the rest of the Pac-12 is doing. This is going to be a loaded conference at quarterback this year. It's going to be a very, very high-level offensive conference this year. And frankly, I don't like some of the pieces Utah lost defensively. And this is not Georgia. This is not where... There are just a bunch of creatures there on the defensive depth chart that you've never heard the names of, but they're ready to play at an astronomically high level. That's a developmental, it's a developmental sport, but Utah, even within the context of that, is a developmental program. You don't have a lot of true freshmen out there shining. And so they could buck that trend, of course. And in fact, the trends say they should be good again this year. And I think they will be good. I'm just not necessarily saying they're my preseason favorite to win the conference. That's all that would have to happen for them to take a step back. And they play Florida in week one, and they go to Baylor in week two. So if you want to accuse someone of not challenging themselves out of conference, look elsewhere. Don't look in Salt Lake City. This is going to be a challenging follow-up portion to the show. So before I get to this, I want to remind you to like the video. In fact, there, I just liked my own video. Lead by action. And I want you to subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening on pod, do that as well. Thank you for that. All right. One sip from the chalice. And I think it's appropriately colored. A little bit of, little bit of orange in the Miami color scheme. And I'm about to talk about a, a hefty allegation that's been thrown my way. Um, okay. Let me be responsible. Let me be tactful here. Allegations have surfaced. The Florida State message board is a buzz. 
with allegations that I lied and allegations that I, I think the thread title was rewrote history. Uh, like Mima said, allegations can only chase you if you run from them. So I'm here. I am the face of those allegations. Allegedly, they came from my mouth and you don't have to just blindly accept the allegations because I, I sent director Colin and producer Jesse over to the 24-7 Sports FSU message board. And I said, do some digging. What are they saying about me over there? I eventually made my way over there myself, and I've got to give it to you. It looks like you got me. So let's, let's just summarize for the viewing public. If you're listening on podcast, I'll tell you what we're looking at. Here is a picture of the tweet. It first came to our attention from a tweeter out there. And if you can't tell what you're looking at, that's okay. Uh, we'll zoom in a little bit. The first picture that you need to see is a screen grab from a show we did probably in August. It's when we were doing ACC record predictions. And you see there, this is just a, a zoomed-in view of what was in the tweet. The prediction on this show, from yours truly, from Miami, was for them to go 10-2. and two. Now, Obviously, they fell well short of that. People have been wrong on predictions before, right? Well, that's not where they thought they got me. Where they alleged to have got me is a very fresh show. Sound bites from just a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about Miami on signing day. And someone on the FSU message board took notice of me saying the following. Miami, let me ask you a question. What did you expect from Mario Cristobal when he got to Miami? I, personally did not expect them to immediately compete for fill-in-the-blank. I, I didn't expect them to get beat by the teams they got beat by last year, but the first thing I thought about when Mario went to Miami is, ooh, recruiting! So which is it, buddy? Are they going 10-2, and two, or do you expect nothing from them? Are they double-digit wins, or are they not going to contend for anything? Now, does this make me look bad? Yes. Do I sound like a hypocrite? Absolutely. Am I going to try and wiggle my way out of this? You bet. Watch this. As you know, on this program, I notoriously hate predictions. Why? Because it, it entraps you, and it can make you look stupid when you're wrong. And I don't like those sorts of situations. Classic fence-riding technique. And so, there is a long-standing rule on this program that when a prediction is right, I take the credit. And when a prediction is wrong, it was the model's fault. Famously. I fought the computer model that we use on this program when it comes to Texas all year. The computer model probably still thinks Texas should have been in the playoff. And I was just dismissing it at every turn. You're wrong, model. You're wrong. And so, as memory serves, Jesse, correct me, don't correct me if I'm wrong, actually. That's the opposite of what I'm trying to do here. But if memory serves, when we were in August, I had them, had the production team generate via graphic what the model thought the records would be of teams. And the model spat out 10-2 and two as the most likely record for Miami. For the record, its best case was 11-1, and one, and the worst case was 6-6. Six and six. So the model, model kind of went Texas A&M on us there. It, it was worse than the model's worst case scenario for Miami this year. Uh, do I take full responsibility? No. Do I take some responsibility? I guess, as Cheryl Crow would say. And Meemaw, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. But 
I gave no win projection. If you'll notice, even in the soundbite, Colin, can you can you actually no, I'm not gonna ask you to do that again. But the soundbite that Colin just played, if you'll notice, I said I didn't expect them to contend for anything. And I think as history has shown us, and you're looking at Miami's schedule from this year right now, even if they went ten and two, if the losses were to a couple of conference opponents, they probably still wouldn't have contended for anything. But in good faith, I will acknowledge that if you're predicting someone to go 10-2, and two, yes, you're probably expecting them to contend for something. The third excuse I would like to make for myself tonight, and make no mistake, that's absolutely what I'm doing, is stacking excuses so that hopefully the stack gets high enough that I can hide behind them. There's just a lot to remember. There's just a lot to remember. If you want to participate in an exercise with me, I would encourage you to do this. I want you to take like 50 things that you think about the 2023 season. And I want you to lick the pen there. And I want you to write them all down. And then I want you to wad them up and bury them in your backyard. And then I get to go dig them up, with your permission, of course, in December. And watch how frequently I read things off that piece of paper that you look at and scoff. I didn't say that. I didn't think that. Happens to me all the time. I just have the unfortunate task of being live here and getting it thrown in my face. That's the breaks. I signed up for it. I get it. So yes, people, I was wrong. I made a very hypocritical statement about Miami, and I am here to cowardly wait until the end of the segment to take a stand, but take a stand nonetheless I am doing. Side note, and I mean this in all sincerity, it's good to have FSU fans back because you guys disappeared on me for a little while. And I wondered if we would ever reunite. But here we are, and it feels so good. All right, I've done my due diligence. That felt like community service to me. But I've done what I came here to do. But the show's not nearly over yet. It's time for a much more fruitful and enjoyable exercise for me. Um, when would it have been? About five days ago, I put out a tweet just passing the time. I think I was in the middle of sets at the gym. And I said, hey, what would you change about this sport to just blow up the entire history of college football? What, what moments could you change that would just send shockwaves throughout the sport way beyond just maybe the teams or two that it involved? Texas, Texas Tech, 2008 was one of the popular submissions. And the question, of course, is what happens if the Graham Harrell to Michael Crabtree pass doesn't happen, it falls incomplete. Do you remember what the situation was? Texas is number one in the country. Both of these teams are 8-0. It's early November. There is no time left on the clock. It's 33-32 to Texas until it wasn't. And the Red Raiders, led by Mike Leach at the time, walk it off, stun silence on the Longhorn sideline. We don't have a 12-team playoff here. You can't afford to lose. Some of you think these moments will still happen. No, they won't. This will be a bygone era one day soon. Kind of already is. Texas was out. That was it. Colt McCoy looks devastated because he is. Because they fell from being the number one team in the country to number five after that loss. But what if he dropped the ball? What if it got batted incomplete? What if time just runs out and Texas wins 33-32? to Well, I'll tell you the first thing that would have happened is Texas would have left Lubbock, Texas as the number one team in the country. And here's why that's significant. 
Remember what the championship game was that year? It ended up being Oklahoma and Florida. Oklahoma loses to Florida and Tim Tebow. Sam Bradford and Oklahoma lose to Tim Tebow in Florida. Texas beat Oklahoma that year by 10, actually. And so I have just unfettered curiosity, and you know how rarely I use that word, but just unfettered amounts of curiosity about how Texas would have fared the rest of the season. Because even as it was, they didn't lose another game. I want to know how Texas, who ended up finishing number three in the country, how they would have fared against the Florida Gators. How differently could we possibly remember Colt McCoy? Because the next year, they go to the title game, but that's the whole if Colt didn't get hurt thing. And so as a result, he never wins a title there. And with that current team, Mac Brown never wins a title. In fact, Mac Brown never wins another title at Texas. How differently could we remember them? How differently could the Big 12 have looked? And how differently could things have played out for Florida? I don't know. But on the other side of it, Jesse told me earlier today, I think it was Stuart Mandel that voted this the number one game of 2008. I would agree, and that was a crazy year. Coming off the craziest year in the history of the sport, 08 was pretty crazy too. Uh, That's before Saban and Bama have, have ascended to the mountaintop. They're on their way, but they wouldn't win their first title until the next year. So it's Urban Meyer in Florida. We're a, few, we're a couple of years removed from the Vince Young Texas national title win. So it feels like there's a lot up for grabs in the sport. LSU and Les Miles, two losses, had won the title the previous year. So we were in a stretch there where a different team had won the title several years in a row. It was like Miami, Ohio State, LSU in 03, uh, USC in 04, and then you had Texas in 05, 06 is Florida, 07 is LSU again. And then 08, who knows, Texas may get right back into the equation until they don't. But think about this. That game came to define Mike Leach. That game came to define Texas Tech for a generation of people pretty much my age. People in their, in their late 20s to 30s, they think about Texas Tech. They think about that moment. They think about Mike Leach. They think about that moment. Michael Crabtree ended up being the first top 10 draft pick. He ended up being the highest draft pick out of Texas Tech since 1965. Graham Harrell, when you think of him, that's it. That's the moment. So, so much got defined that night that just changing one little thing, one little drop pass, who knows how the rest of history would have played out. Oh, and by the way, there is the the not-so-insignificant matter of the Heisman Trophy because Oklahoma's Sam Bradford ended up winning that thing over Colt McCoy, who was number two. If Colt McCoy and Texas end up winning that game, he probably wins the Heisman Trophy because you would have had voters, even though I don't think it's supposed to come down to this, you certainly would have had voters who looked and said, well, if they're equal in my mind, Colt did beat Sam Bradford on the field, even though they were never on the field at the same time. I have no love lost for the Heisman voting process. I'm just saying he may very well have won. Oh, for the record, Tim Tebow finished third there. If, what if, Texas Tech and that pass at the end of regulation falls incomplete. Mm, what if? Now, if you think that one's crazy, wait till you see what I have you in just a second. Before that, though, I've got to tell you, they're watching us in Ocala, Florida, Sacramento, California, and Post-it Pop, So-So, Mississippi, which is very near Laurel, Mississippi. And why do I know all of this? 
because that is some of the most ripe storm-chasing country in the southeast. Very treacherous terrain. Don't recommend it. In fact, chasing in Mississippi is a fool's errand even for the most seasoned of storm chasers. But, you know, if we're not going to be foolish, who's going to be foolish? So, so, so Mississippi. Good to hear from you guys. I got another what if for you tonight. You want to change one moment in the history of this sport to send shockwaves throughout the entire sport? I want to take you back to 2005, I guess it would have been. There's a recruitment going on. I would say even to this day, including Arch Manning, it's the highest profile recruitment in college football history. Who am I talking about, kids? That would be Timothy Tebow of Nice High School. Tim Tebow is down to Florida and Alabama. And at the time, that is a brand new Urban Meyer versus Mike Shula at Alabama in the recruitment of the number one player and number one quarterback in the country. This was, I cannot convey in strong enough terms, for those of you in high school right now, my early college audience. In other words, if you just weren't old enough to have gone through this and known what you were watching, I cannot convey to you in strong enough terms what this did for college football and college football recruiting. This took a cottage industry and put it on the map nationally. The Tim Tebow recruitment, I think, is the biggest single recruitment in the history of the recruiting industry, because up until then, some hardcore people were into it. Like Folks like us would have already been into it. This got folks who say the word off-season involved in college football recruiting. This got folks who waited until fall to open up a newspaper and say, let's see who we got on the team this year. They followed Tim Tebow's recruitment and then registered at Rivals.com and Scout.com afterwards. I mean, this is pre-24-7. This is a different world. But this kind of made the world that we live in today. Tim Tebow, on National Signing Day, commits to Urban Meyer and the Florida Gators. I'll ask you a question many people have asked before, and I've got my thoughts on it. What if he would have chosen Alabama? This was neck and neck. There was no fill in the blank and it's not close. There was no, oh, it was always going to be Florida. This was neck and neck from the horse's mouth, neck and neck. The first thing that I think about when I think about the what if with Tim Tebow. If he goes to Alabama, I'll get to all that in a second. What would it have done for Florida? Everyone wants to go to Saban immediately. I go to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer had not won a national championship yet. He, w- he had Chris Leak at Florida. He was about to win one in 06, and Tebow was a part of that team, and he, he played some, but it didn't really become his team until the next year. Um, would things still have worked out as they did? Without Tim Tebow, think about writing the history of Florida football minus Tim Tebow. You're looking at, I think, probably the most famous college football player in our generation. And even if you disagree with that, certainly uh, right there in the top five. So if I remove him, I take down the statue down there. I don't know which championships I remove. Who knows? Maybe, Maybe they would have recruited over him and they would have been just fine. It's hard to think they would have seamlessly gone about their business minus a generational player. That's the first thing I think about. The impact on a major program at Florida and what it does for Tim Tebow. Does Dan Mullen, just think about the offensive coordinator there. Does Dan Mullen end up garnering the attention that he ended up garnering for just being associated with that? And he was a big part of it, obviously. That's the first thing I think about. Second thing, what does it do for Bama? 
you know where I'm going with this. This is why it sends shockwaves beyond just the program at Florida. As I said, it's Mike Shula in Alabama at the time. And it was a very interesting time in Crimson Tide football. They were coming off this 10-win season, I believe, in 2005, a regular season. They may have won the bowl game in 111. So they, they had their best team they had had in a while. But they got later in the year, and it was, it was pretty clear Alabama was not on the level of USC or Oklahoma or, or Texas that year, but they were kind of in that next tier. But people were thinking, hey, maybe Mike Shula's finally rounding the program into form. Well, by 06, it was obvious, no, it was kind of a blip on the radar screen, and, and he's out, so they fire him after the 06 season, and they hire a guy by the name of Nick Saban. That's how history ended up going. If Tim Tebow commits to Alabama, that is not how history would have gone. I have a strong suspicion a player of the caliber of Tim Tebow would have been good enough to come in right behind Brody Corll and then start immediately. And secondly, I have a suspicion they would have won enough games for Mike Shula, the guy responsible for landing him, to maintain his employment there in Tuscaloosa, which means when Mal Moore flies down to meet with Wayne Huizenga, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, scratch that because it doesn't happen because he's not firing a coach. Therefore, he doesn't have a job to offer Nick Saban. Where does Nick Saban end up? Where, where does he end up? Tebow has a direct impact on this. Because I think Saban would have come back to college. I don't think he was going to stay in Miami. He may have been there the next season. But I don't think he was just going to remain in the NFL. I think he was coming back to college. Where was he coming back to? Because there was no previous tie with Alabama. Alabama just happened to be the job that was open and the one that made the sense for him to take at the time. It, it could have just as easily been Michigan or LSU again. Florida could have been Georgia. He would have taken any of those. None of those happened to be open at the time. But think about that. You want to send a shockwave through the sport. The, last, the, last, the better part of the last two decades at this point, 15 years, 16 years, they've been defined by... Either Alabama's going to win the title or someone had to beat them to win the title. It's been that way every year. Heisman trophies, national championships, conference championships, first round draft picks, more of those than losses. I erase all that, potentially with a different outcome in one recruitment. I think that you could make the argument that changing that moment potentially changes as much about this sport as any singular moment you could change in the modern era. You're talking about obviously not like changing integration or anything like that in a bygone era, but as far as it comes to plays or individual moments, it's hard to argue that there's one that maybe changes more things than that because then you could also think about how many coaches have lost their jobs because they couldn't beat Saban. You can think about how many coaches' careers have been made for coaching under Saban. How do I know all that still would have happened? I don't because a lot of it wouldn't have. Ooh. So yeah, you see quickly how this exercise can get out of control. Appreciate you guys being tuned in live, by the way. And look, you got plenty of time to watch this replay because we're not going to have another Late Kick Live until next Thursday. So whenever you're watching, just make sure you like the video and subscribe to the channel. I had a question. You know what? Before, before we get into this, Colin, before we go to the USC question, I have to give a shout out. I'm not going to tee up the video. If you want to see the video, you can go to my Twitter account, at Late Kick Josh. There was a big upset in our office last night. And normally, I mention Jesse's name on the show. I mention Colin's name on the show. 
And you've heard me mention Bradley or Belchie every now and then, but normally you have to you have to ascend to producer or director status for you to have a reoccurring mention on the show. But Bradley has got his face on a Wheaties box today, courtesy of our Aaron Grisham, because Bradley is horrific at ping pong. He had never played the sport before he got here. And we put point spreads on every ping pong game that happens in this office. And on an unrelated note, your boy's 164 and four right now. But on a related note, Bradley, aside from some, from some dial-up like FCS level games, had not won a ping pong match. And he goes into last night, and he's a 10 and a half point dog. And not only does Bradley cover, but this young man right here, who hails from Montgomery, Alabama, pulled the upset of the year in our office. And that's why his face is on a Wheaties box in my hand right now. Because Bradley, he deserves it. Making healthy... Ch- you know, some of, the other, some of the other printings on that are kind of false advertising. But good for Bradley. Thumbs up. Approval for Bradley for pulling off the upset. I just want to keep you guys up to date with what happens when we're off the air. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, now we can get to the question that has me a little bit fired up. Third sip from the chalice before we get into this. I may actually drain the chalice tonight. I got to compose myself. This one, I, I just, mm, this is me composing myself. I get a little mad, unnecessarily so, at these sorts of questions. Uh, and I hope you guys out on the West Coast, particularly my brethren on the peristyle, I hope you guys are paying attention to how, how much I'm about to mount up and go to war for you. Okay. Here's the question. Harper from Delaware, Ohio. I appreciate you tuning in, Harper, but I'm angry with you. He said, why the hype around Lincoln Riley when he hasn't proven he could win at all? This is a lie. This is a lie. This is total fabrication. Lincoln Riley hasn't proven he could win. It's a lie. This is where I wish that I could just Skype people in and debate them. 
because I would eviscerate you right now. If you suggested to me, Lincoln Riley hasn't proven he can win. Like, what are you talking about? So push that out. Of, that's nonsense. Push that out of the way. Let's just talk about the tee up to the point he made there. The hype. Why is there so much hype around Lincoln Riley? Because frankly, I don't have a lot of people tell me Lincoln Riley hasn't proven he can win. I think most people can look at the fact that the dude's won double digits every year but the COVID year and understand, yeah, he's proven he can at least win. I think most people understand that. But I do have several of you tell me Lincoln Riley's overrated and Lincoln Riley's overhyped. And I'm just, I ask you, what's the hype? What have I said about him that's not true? What hype have we contributed to that's not true? To remind you, the guy's been a double-digit game winner every year he's been a head coach aside from the COVID year. He develops quarterbacks. I've said that about him. It's not a lie. He's got a Heisman finalist every year. They've won three of them. He's never finished lower than 12th as a head coach in the final AP poll. He's got the third highest winning percentage amongst active head coaches. That's higher than Saban. That's higher than Smart. What about that is hype? You've never heard me say he's the preeminent favorite to win the national championship any given year. I've never predicted him to win one. That would be hype. If he didn't follow through on that, that would be hype. And it would be my fault, not his, by the way. What's the hype? And then on a related note, if that's overhyping him, what should I be saying? To accurately portray Lincoln Riley, what should I say about him? Because you haven't won multiple national championships, you're, you're just a poverty coach. Is that what we're saying about him? I want, you to, I want you to tell me with a straight face that if they gave you a national platform and put a brand new microphone in your face, you would say that and expect to be taken seriously. You don't have to like him. You don't have to root for him, but have some logic behind what you ask me. I opened the mailbox for a reason. We, we opened the DMs for a reason, but you can't come at me with Lincoln Riley hasn't proven he can win. Are you crazy? Answer, yes, at least the, the question is. But look, I brought a friend along tonight. You don't have to just take my word for it because you, you may not value my opinion. I wanted to go to someone who, especially in the college football world, has a pretty sterling reputation. He's been around the block a time or two. So don't take my word for it. Let's go to friend of the program, Nicholas Saban, and see what he's had to say recently about Lincoln Riley. When he wanted to transfer, uh, he said, well, I feel comfortable going to Maryland because Coach Loxley was my coach or going to Miami because Danny Enos was my coach. And, or I could go to Oklahoma. And I said, well, who has the best players? He wanted to go to Maryland or Miami. I said, you need to go to Oklahoma. They got the best players. So you, <laughs> best coach to develop you as a quarterback, and you're going to be around the best players, so that's going to enhance your chances of having success. So he did that. He had a great year. I was worried about having to play him in the playoffs. <laughs> quarterback yeah. there. Never worked out that way. Conversation this week. That was via the 33rd Team Podcast. And that is Nick Saban talking about how he facilitated Jalen Hurts' transfer. Hurts looks at Maryland. Hurts sees comfort level. And Saban says, you need to go play for the best coach with the best players, the one that can develop you the best. He's talking about Lincoln Riley. That's another head coach talking, and one that's won several of those, those fabled national championships that Lincoln Riley hasn't gotten yet. Yet is a key word here. You know, we've made the point a time or ten lately that there's a difference between 
have not and cannot. And right now, Lincoln Riley has not won a national championship, and some of you are misguided enough to think that means he cannot win a national championship. And so I want to remind you of something. I want to tell you a little story, but I don't have to make it up. It really happened. There was this guy who had never been a coordinator before. He had never been a head coach before. And all of a sudden, he got elevated to being the head coach of a major program, a storied program. And he didn't win a championship his first year or his second year or his third year or his fourth year. In fact, he lost at least two games every one of those seasons. His name was Dabo Swinney, by the way. He's the head coach at Clemson. The year is 2014. You and I are having a conversation. What would you have said if I told you this dude over here that some of you think is a little bit goofy, goofy, certainly unorthodox, is going to win two of the next three national championships? Well, he's going to play for one both years. He's going to win one two years from now. He's going to win another one two years after that. He's going to go to the playoff every year. And he's going to rewrite the record books in the process. What would you have said to me in 2014? I'll tell you exactly what you would have said. After you got done laughing, you would have said, Dabo Swinney can't win a national championship. And I would have said to you then exactly what I'm saying about Lincoln Riley now. No, he hasn't won a national championship. He can. He can. He just hasn't. So right now, what's holding Lincoln Riley back? His defenses aren't good enough. That's what's holding him back. Lincoln Riley's extremely young. Lincoln Riley's got his entire future in front of him. So you can either choose to believe that a guy that sharp, and he is one of the brightest in the business, is either going to sit there and never change a thing about his program in the face of very subpar results defensively, or you can do like me and say, I don't know if he's going to figure it out overnight, but eventually that guy's going to get it figured out. Quarterback's never going to be a problem for him. Recruiting is not going to be a problem for him. Acquiring talent, period, is not going to be a problem for him. Salary, the ability to go pay high-profile coordinators to come in and coach his defense, if Alex Grinch isn't the guy, is not going to be a problem for him. He could be there 20 years for all I know. I think they're going to be a contender virtually every one of them, and I think there is a national championship, or maybe more than one, in his future. So the question was, why are we overhyping him? He hasn't proven he can win. That's foolish. He has proven time and time again. In fact, he's yet to have a season where he proves he can't win. This last season should have been that year. He refused to even lose in his first year at USC. So I, I do things to that question that I can't say on air. I dismiss it. That's what I can tell you on air. Next up, we continue in the Late Kick Mailbag. Some of this was for the Late Kick Extra podcast, and we had thousands of submissions, so obviously I couldn't answer all thousand or two, and so I'm putting some of them in tonight's show. A reminder, again, as I'm about to get into this one, if you haven't listened, I think we did a jam-up job, myself and the production staff, on the Late Kick Extra pod. It's back, for those of you who have been tuned out, and it's it's evergreen. You can listen to it whenever you want to. It doesn't lose its relevance. We dropped it Tuesday. If you go look anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever, um, it's, it's in the pod feed on Tuesday, but it's not on the YouTube channel. So you got to go to the pod feed to get it. And it was about an hour and we hit a whole lot, whole lot, college football and beyond. Matt hit us up. 
And Matt said, in the first 10 years of the expanded college football playoff, how many times do you think we'll have an all-SEC semifinal? Matt from the Midwest. He hails from the Midwest. Matt, I don't, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I know this is the, the biggest fear tactic that a lot of my people are using right now, anti-expansion types. They're out there on the streets saying, you better be careful. You're going to have an all-SEC semifinal. Mathematically, that's really hard to swing because you're going to have six spots that go to conference champs. So, so one of those will be an SEC team. And then you've got six at-large bids. So to, to even get four SEC teams in there, you got to have another three of them jammed up pretty tight, which, which happens. Didn't necessarily happen this past year, but it could happen. But even then, there's an important thing to note as we dive into this possibility. You've got to get the seeding right. And I know that the playoff committee is going to tell you they pay no mind to potential future matchups when they initially seed the playoff. I think that's a lie in the new playoff because I think there is no chance, or at least I think they're going to minimize the risk of ending up with three or four SEC teams in the semifinal. What do I mean by that? I mean, if there is no rule instituted that says you can't play one of your own in the first round, they're going to match up those SEC teams as early as they can to knock at least one of them out by default. So just for fun, I had producer Jesse go and populate the 12-team playoff field from this past year. What would it have looked like? Again, I want to stress, just because this was the top 12 doesn't mean if we had a 12-team playoff, this is how they would have seeded it. In other words, they knew it doesn't matter if we put Tennessee at 8 or 9 or 10. They're not in the playoff either way. Well, if we knew we had a 12-team playoff and we had, we had some angles that we wanted to go about in that room, maybe we're a little more strategic. But for broad strokes purposes, here's how it would have looked. Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, and Utah would have gotten buys. Again, I want to emphasize how big a joke it is that we are instituting a model where the Clemson Tigers would have gotten a first-round buy because they won a landfill of a conference. But that's what we have. So anyway, that would have been your top four. You would have had Bama at seven. You would have had Tennessee at eight. You would have had three SEC teams in, period. So certainly you're not getting four of them in the semifinal. That was a down year. You could say, Josh, well, you know good and well, there are some years where there would have been many SEC teams up there. I, I know that. Certainly know that. Okay, so let's say it was an up year for the SEC. Let's say they got four of them in here. Maybe five. Who knows? Even so, getting all four of those to perfectly be seated to where they can all advance and meet each other in the semifinals, that's going to be hard. Not impossible, but hard. Three out of the four, a lot more likely. At least two out of the four is likely. I think mathematically, that's just likely most years. That's not what you should be asking yourself. The question of will they ever get all four, that's not what you should be asking yourself. What you need to be asking yourself is, do they get two or three out of the four in there? Therefore, how often, how high is the likelihood that we get all SEC national championship games? Now, you may say to me, well, we already had one in 2011, didn't we? We already had another one in 2017. We had another one in, uh, what was it, 2022? Yeah, last year, or 2021. Sure did. 
a lot had to go right. I am just telling you, if you run the numbers, I think you are entering an era where it is more likely, statistically, that you get an all-SEC championship game. Now, you, th- you think I'm fear-mongering. Well, of course I am. Uh, not really, because it's fruitless at this point. I don't care. At this point, you're giving me what you're giving me. I don't care. I just want to remind you, there's nowhere else to go. Like, if you're getting that result and you end up not liking it, and you end up having some really uncomfortable pairings in the semis and the final, you got what you got. Because I've got all of you on the record now that this is going to be good for the sport. And ultimately, if you're saying this thing, expanding it, because you want more of that thing is good for the sport, you must kind of worship at the altar of the playoff. It's all about the playoff or, or the sport culminates in the playoff, just like the NFL. NFL playoffs are what it's about. College football playoff is what it's about. I don't feel that way, but if you do, that's fine. But if that's how you feel, we should shape the playoff for it to be best for the sport. And that's the outcome. You chose the format. Not, not I, said the Bobcat. You chose the format. All right. Um, let's, let's dive into bold predictions. I had fun with bold predictions the other night. Tonight, mixed bag, I shall say. Mixed bag. First bold prediction, as it turns out, this wasn't from August. It was from all the way back in May. So it was a long time, even before August, when we made these. Uh, but you submitted them, and here's what you said. First one was from Dylan. Ohio State and Michigan will both make the college football playoff. Boom! It hit. And I put a nine on this. Boo! Now, now we did a segment earlier in the show where we spotlighted alleged hypocrisy of mine. No, you want to know hypocrisy. How about reading that prediction in May, saying it's a nine on the boldness scale, and then proceeding to predict Ohio State and Michigan both to make the playoff two months later? Because that's exactly what I did. As I said, and I will continue to say, my feelings are very fluid. They change by the hour. So I thought this was bold in May. I ended up loving it. And it happened, for the record. It happened. So good for Dylan and, and good for me. Just not the May version of me. Next up, this one hit too. Uh, Cougar Hunter, I'll leave that alone, said that Oklahoma and Texas are way overhyped. I think we see someone else win the Big 12 this season. Friends, someone else won the Big 12 this season, and it was not TCU. If, you, if you're like me, you have a bad habit of misremembering how the Big 12 played out. No, Kansas State won the conference. TCU went to the playoff, neither of whom are Oklahoma or Texas. OU and Texas were 1-2 in the preseason odds. I called this a 7 on the boldness scale only because it's the Big 12. So nothing is crazy in the Big 12 because everything is already crazy. Therefore, no prediction is crazy. And remember, we were just coming off a year at this point. We were coming off a year where Baylor, with like the second to longest odds in all of the field, had won the Big 12 the year before. So. We did a segment close to this where someone asked, is anyone going to win 10 games in the Big 12? That's how bunched up it looked like the conference was going to be. And as a result, we had another unpredictable finish. Neither Texas nor OU in the Big 12 championship game. Speaking of a neither nor, let's talk about the Heisman for just a second. Because one of you said that neither C.J. Stroud nor Bryce Young will be Heisman finalists for this upcoming season. 
and I made the caveat at the time, we have to remove injury because we're not going to predict injury. So this only counts if both of them are healthy. Uh, Bryce Young missed some time, so he did not go to New York City. C.J. Stroud did go to New York City. I just asked, if, if there's not injury in the equation, how are you keeping them out of New York? At least one of them. Not only are they just good enough, but also we were entering a season where seven of the previous 10 Heisman finalists were moving on. So the field was wide open. They were the, the preeminent favorites. And C.J. Stroud played like he should. And Bryce Young, even in a down year, if he played all year, probably would have been a Heisman finalist. So I didn't know how this was going to go. I, I picked it as a nine on the boldness scale. I saw no path where neither of them made the finals. Nor did I see a path for this next one. Auburn was bad. But Bradley suggested Auburn is going to go 0-8 in conference play. I put an 8.5 on this one uh, because, as I said, even in the worst of years, it's rare for a program as, as proud and as talented as Auburn to just flatline the whole year. And that's exactly how it went. They were bad, but there was this little blip in week four against Missouri. And there was this little blip against Texas A&M. And in those games, they scored a combined 30 points, but they won both of them somehow against Missouri. And everyone beat A&M. So that two conference wins. They were terrible. They didn't make a bowl. But even then, the Auburn Tigers still won two conference games. I call that one an eight on the boldness scale. Eight and a half, I think. Uh, that one, that was going to be tough. And lastly, I have to be careful with this one. The prediction was a first-year head coach is 100% taking his squad to the playoff. There are too many good coaches from Hollywood, Florida. I was surprised today when I saw what the boldness rating was I put on this. I put a three on it. As it turns out, the May version of me thought that it was a slam dunk. There were too many good first-year head coaches. One of these guys is going to the playoff. And for those of you who can't picture the list in your mind, this was the list. Sonny Dykes at TCU is the one who ended up doing it. We had Lincoln Riley at USC, Caleb DeBoer, Kalen DeBoer at Washington, Brian Kelly at LSU, Dan Lanning at Oregon, Napier at Florida, Cristobal at Miami, Freeman at Notre Dame, Venables at Oklahoma. Some of those were preseason favorites to win their conferences. I thought it was a virtual slam dunk. Someone on that list is going to the playoff. Sure enough, the one we would have put dead last is the one who ended up doing it, Sonny Dykes at TCU, which goes to show you for the millionth time, don't laugh at predictions. Anybody who predicted TCU to the playoff would have been laughed out of the room in May and October, and yet they pulled it off. We pulled the show off tonight, and the under is going to hit. Do you want to see the Wheaties box one more time? Let's show the Wheaties box one more time. Congratulations, Bradley. Biggest upset in the brief ping pong history of the 24-7 Sports downtown Nashville office. One more housekeeping note to remind you if you tuned in late. I don't know if you've heard, but the Super Bowl is Sunday. And we are going to take a little break. We're going to give the NFL Sunday. And we will be back next Thursday. So our normal rotation is Sunday, Thursday this time of year. Just so happens the Super Bowl is this Sunday. So. We will be back next Thursday. There will be a Late Kick Extra podcast Tuesday. 
and it will be lengthy. Immunity. And if you want to know what that means, go listen to the previous edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast where I explained that towards the end where management had already tuned out. So thank you again for putting us top 10 globally in football pods right now. You got to remember, by the way, podcast isn't even our main source of traffic. YouTube is. So you've got us surging, and we appreciate it. Enough where we can get a new mic. So thank you to you guys, for producer Jesse, for director Colin. I'm Josh Bate. Take care. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. God bless you.